The gift of Jesus. What is the greatest Christmas gift you've been given? Don't get all spiritual in me and answer like a Bible answer. I mean like just the greatest Christmas gift you've ever had, gotten. You have like that standout gift from a child, from your childhood, something that was super fun or memorable, you know, maybe a BB gun or a new bike or I remember as a kid getting one of those like those rockets that used the little the little gunpowder cartridges, you remember, that would shoot them up into the air. Um, as an adult, I, I, you know, you just get excited about boring stuff. I remember a watch one year that I was particularly excited about. What, what for you stands out? Maybe something you're looking forward to getting this year. How, how long did the excitement last for that gift? How, how long did the gift itself last? Did it, did it wear out at some point? Do you even still have it? Did it, did it change your life the way you thought or hoped that it would? Did that gift, think about opening it, holding it, receiving it, you finally got what you asked for, did it, did it make you feel loved? Maybe, maybe if the person who gave it to you loved you, maybe you did feel loved. Maybe it wasn't even something you asked for and it's just like, wow, my spouse or my sibling like heard me mention this, remembered and, and got this for me. Maybe you did give you some love? How about, how about peace and joy? Did it give you peace and joy? Maybe, maybe it did give you some of those things for a time, but as great as Christmas gifts are, they do eventually wear out. And most of the time, the impact that they have on our lives is temporary, is, is superficial, right? It's not lasting. And so as we've already kind of said, Christmas as the, the season of, of giving, hopefully that's primarily because we're focused on the greatest gift that God has given us, the greatest gift we could ever imagine. And so as we give gifts to family and friends, as we ask for stuff, as we go on Amazon and get frustrated that two-day shipping no longer seems to apply, hopefully we can keep ourselves focused on the gift of Jesus, the most profound gift we've ever received. Remember, the angels that first night out in the field, the shepherd Excuse me, the shepherds out in the field and the angel came to them. They're initially terrified as all people seem to be in the presence of an angel. And the angel proclaims, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. This is good news, friends. It's good news of great joy that will be for all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ there means the anointed one, the, the promised one. 2,000 years ago in the city of Bethlehem, the birthplace of the great King David, a Savior was born. The Christ, the anointed one from God, the one whom the saints of the old covenant longed for, that the prophets proclaimed this precious gift from God. In fact, God himself manifest in the flesh. And this, this gift is good news. It is good news of great joy for all people in a world that is desperately needing a gift from God. In a world that's filled with darkness and disobedience and destruction and despair and depression and desperation and spiritual decay. We need the gift of Jesus. As we heard this morning, as we lit that first Advent candle, the light who has come into the world to shine in our hearts and through us out into the world. Because in Him was life and that life was the light of men and the light of Christ shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. And that's the gift we celebrate. That's the Savior that we give our lives to. And so in this season of Advent, we'll spend the next four Sundays and Christmas Eve looking at all that we receive through this gift of Jesus. 
This season of waiting, waiting to celebrate His first coming, continuing to wait as we look ahead to His second coming and all that will be ours one day. We're going to see in this season the gift of, of, of Christ means for us the gift of love, the gift of God's peace, the gift of hope, the gift of, of joy from the Lord, and ultimately the gift of life that will transform our hearts and impact the world around us. The gift of love, as we'll find out today, means that we have the love of our Heavenly Father. We have a new life, a new identity, a new mission pouring out into selfless love. We'll talk next week about the gift of peace, that we now have peace through God, through the coming of Christ and and the forgiveness that we have in Him. And that peace with God brings peace in our own hearts, peace from guilt and shame, which builds peace into the relationships with others. We have the gift of hope. We've been given the hope of eternity, and that brings hope even now in the midst of our trials and hardships of each day where people of hope, they can extend out into hope for others. People of, of joy receiving the gift of Jesus is a gift of joy that where our lives are transformed, we have joy now in daily life, and that spreads out into a contagious joy to the people around us and the gift of life. That we are born again through Jesus to new life. And it means abundant life now. It means eternal life. As we give out that life through our words, through our actions to others. And so this morning we're going to settle in and focus on this first idea of the gift of love. That the gift of Jesus is, is a gift of love. Now of course love is, is, is the most overused, the most undervalued concept in the world around us. But it's also the most profound and most central concept to the Christian faith. But somehow in the English language, we use the same word to describe God's primary direction towards us. We use that word to describe how we feel about our children, right? Which theoretically is is, is quite an investment. You've raised them, you've nurtured them. But we also use the word love to describe like our favorite ice cream, right? So what... What do we mean when we actually talk about the gift of God's love? We need to define that. Wayne Grudem, theologian, says that God's love is God eternally giving of himself to others for their blessing and good. Ultimately, the gift of God's love is God giving us himself. I I define God's love like this. It is a deep passion, a devotion, and affection for his children. I believe it's, it's, it's God's passion for us, His devotion for us, and yes, His affection. He's affectionate for His children. It's rooted in His essential nature. It's not, it doesn't come from anything outside of Himself. It comes from Himself because He is love, and it drives Him to act, to act for His people in self-sacrifice, even though it's undeserved. Theologian author Pink, in his book on the attributes of God, says that God's love is uninfluenced. That means God doesn't love someone because they are lovely or worthy of love. His love is free. It's spontaneous. It's uncaused. If something deserves to be loved, then you're required to love it. God's love is free. God loves because of Himself, not because of, of you. His love is lavish and gracious and abundant. We just came out of our series in the Old Testament this fall, and so I should address the false notion that, that some have, or consciously or subconsciously, well, the God of the Old Testament, He's sort of a strict, angry judge, and now we get to the New Testament. Now Jesus is born, and now we experience God as a kind, loving Savior. It's a misconception. There's a theological term for that particular misunderstanding. It's called hogwash, okay? Because it makes about as much sense as washing a hog. 
Look, the Old Testament story is a story of a faithful, patient, loving Creator who establishes a covenant with His people, whose heart's desire is to redeem them and draw them to Himself. And the love of God in the Old Testament is written about hundreds and hundreds of times. Most often it's this Hebrew word, hesed, which in your English Bibles is either going to be translated as steadfast love or loving kindness. This idea that God's love is steadfast. It's, it's, it's a loving kindness. The Lord declared to Moses that He was a merciful God, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The birth of Jesus didn't, didn't establish anything new about God's love. It simply manifested the eternal love of God on earth. And so this morning as we unpack this gift of God's love in the birth of Jesus... I want to look at several passages this morning from, from the Apostle John. And, and John is literally an expert on God's love. In, in the gospel that he wrote, he actually refers to himself as, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. How would you like to live your life with that identity? Who are you? Oh, I'm, I'm John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He spent three years with Jesus, one of his closest disciples. When the disciples would sit together at a table and eat a meal, we're told that John would very often be able to sit next to Jesus, would lean up against Jesus, this intimacy, this connection, this reception of his love. And so I want us to see this morning three, three things. We're going to see that the, the gift of God's love gives us life, gives us an identity, and it gives us a mission. So let's start off with... with the idea that the gift of God's love gives us life. I want to begin with the, the most famous verse in the Bible. In John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with a Jewish leader by the name of Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. And, and the Pharisees come to Jesus to ask him about the kingdom of God and how to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus is teaching this religious leader about salvation and teaching him that salvation only comes when you are born again, when you become new through faith in Jesus. And so then, then in verse 16, we get to what is arguably the most famous verse in the Bible. And for good reason, it's a beautiful summary of the gospel. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now this, this idea that God so loved the world was a radical statement for Jesus to make at the time. Because most people at that time understood God's love only to be for the people of Israel. For generations, God has set His unique fatherly covenant love on the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, now yes, of course, in a general sense, as creator of the world, God had always had love for the whole world. But as Savior, God's redemptive covenant love is only for those who He had chosen, the chosen people. But now, through the birth of Jesus, what Jesus is declaring is that this redeeming love now goes out to the whole world. God doesn't just love Israel. God loves the whole world. To every people from every race, every tribe, every tongue, every culture, every region of the globe, God calls people to Himself. For God so loved the world that He gave. He did something about it. God's love drove Him to act. If you look at the ESV, there's a footnote that says, this is how God loved the world. This is how God loved the world. He gave. See, listen, if you say you love something and it doesn't propel you to action, then your love is, is either shallow or it's fake or it, you're just lying to yourself and it doesn't really exist, right? 
If you say you love somebody, if you say you love your kids, that you should feed them and take care of them and comfort them and hug them, right? If you say that you love a particular brand of ice cream or a particular Bonky's flavor, like if you truly love it, you're probably going to eat it. You're going to do something about it. You're going to get it, right? And this is true for us. Our love drives us to action because we are created in reflection of God. God's love drives him for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave something precious, his only son. Older translations translate this as his only begotten son. We understand that the Greek here to mean the one and only, the the one of a kind son of God, the unique son of God. Jesus is the son of God, not in the sense that, that the father birthed him, but because they relate together as father and son. The son reflects the father. In the ancient church creed, the Nicene Creed says this, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence as the Father. So amidst all of these pictures and songs and carols and yard decorations of of Mary holding the baby, I mean, she's looking down at this child that she just gave birth to, and she's literally looking at God incarnate. God, the love of God, the presence of God manifest on earth. All of the attributes, the full divinity of God in the flesh, the Son of God. And so God the Father gave, because of His love, For people all over the world, God gave His Son, sent Him to earth, born in a manger. And and that word gave in John 3.16 is like jam-packed with theological meaning. He gave Him in coming to earth, and then Jesus lived, Jesus grew, Jesus matured. Jesus walked in full obedience as a human, living out humanity as it was intended, living in obedience to God. And then Jesus willingly traded His life for our own. So you and I are in rebellion against God, against our Creator. And the penalty, the Bible says, for that rebellion against God is ultimately eternal death. And so Jesus took on that death for us. That's why He had to die. Because the wages of sin is death. And so He died as our substitute. The biblical word is atonement. He, he made amends by exchanging His life for ours. Taking out our sins. And in his death on the cross, Jesus faced an eternity of God's righteous judgment deserved for you and I. Jesus takes it on himself. See, God loved and so God acted and God gave the gift of his own son, the gift of Jesus for you and I. And Jesus willingly came in an act of love that you and I could be drawn to himself. And so for the joy sent before him, the joy of redeeming God's people, Jesus came and he gave God the Father gave His Son so that we would not perish, John 3.16 says, but have eternal life. Now look, all of us are still going to die. I hope that's not news to you. But your death can either be the transition into eternal life or the beginning of eternal death. Apart from Christ, it's an eternal existence in darkness, separated from the blessings of God. And all people will either die eternally or live eternally. But because of the birth of Jesus, we can now be born again into eternal life. And this means a life both of unending duration, right? Eternal there means it it goes on and on, but it's also unending quality. It's a depth and an abundance of life with God as it was always intended. 
abundant life that begins now and goes on forever. But here's the reality of what we see in this familiar verse. This gift of life doesn't come to everyone. It comes to those who believe. Whoever believes will not perish. Any and all who believe in Christ, any and all who receive God's love, receive the benefits and the blessings, but to do so, you must believe. You must have faith. That's what the Greek word for to believe means. It's it's the verb form of, of faith. It's the same concept. It's not an intellectual assent. It's not checking off a list of of statements on a list. It's it's, it's faith. Faith is is an active, it's the core of who you are. It's it's lived out. I mean, think about it like this. If if you go, let's say you go to Manhattan over the holidays and you want to go see, you know, the the lights at Rockefeller Center and the tree, and let's say this, this... awful fire breaks out on Manhattan. Manhattan's an island, right? You can only get all on and off of it from a bridge or a boat. Let's say fire breaks out and buildings are burning and lives are being lost and it's spreading and you're overcome. You have to make a decision. You, you run over to the George Washington Bridge and you look at it and you think to yourself, wow, that bridge was finely designed and looks very well constructed and it's beautiful. And you look at it and you say, I bet that bridge could could." Carry me to safety off of this burning island. That, that's not faith. It's maybe admiration. It's, it's, it's intellectual assent. It's acknowledgement of, of certain attributes or facts. Biblical faith means that you actually walk across the bridge. You actually trust that bridge will carry me to safety. It's not going to fall down. It actually is the way to life. And, and I now walk across this bridge from this burning island to life. Putting trust in Christ means you put your life in His hands. It's not pointing and looking. It's not showing up in a building. It's not checking a box. It's actually walking from death into life through faith, through trust, through hope, through obedience, through giving yourself fully and finally to Christ as your only Savior, your only hope. Do you believe? Do you believe that Christ is Savior. To believe that God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His, His only Son. That through your faith, you no longer die, but now you have eternal life. Is that your hope? Is that the beginning and end of your life? Is that your foundation? Is that what sets the direction for your life? Brothers and sisters, let's, let's remind ourselves that the gift of Jesus is a gift of love. And that's, that's life for us. Put your hope in Him today. Maybe for you. You begin this Christmas season for the first time saying, yes, I put my life in Christ's hands and I believe. So the gift of, of God's love in Jesus gives us life, but it also, I want to help us see this morning, it gives us an identity. It gives us an identity. John, who I said is an expert in love, in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 1, says this, see What kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Friends, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Other translations say, see what great love the Father has given to us. God, our our Creator, our Sustainer, our Savior, is also our Father. 
What great love our Father has given to us. The word there in the original language indicates a, a kind of love that's like nothing you've ever experienced. We can try to understand God's love and compare it to, to romantic love and familial love and passionate love. But the word here indicates that it's something like from another country, from another world. What kind of love has God given us? A love that's out of this world. A love that is lavish, that is wonderful. A love that will spend eternity growing and understanding that the Creator of the universe, your Heavenly Father, loves you in Christ. Do, do you want to be loved? Do you want to know and experience true love? Some of us maybe need love more than others in terms of how we express that like our our neediness not like in the core of what we need so, but some of us put on like a tough outer shell right of self-sufficiency i don't need anybody i'm i'm good but every human deep down needs love craves love desires to be loved not just from other humans but ultimately that's an expression i believe of our ultimate created essence to to be known and to be loved by by god do you want a loving God? Not just a disconnected supreme being who rules the world, but a personal loving God. C.S. Lewis, reflecting on that, says this. You asked for a loving God? You have one. Not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. Not the cold philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate not the care of a host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guests, but the consuming fire himself. The love that made the worlds, persistent as the artist's love for his work, and authoritative as a man's love for his dog, provident and venerable as a father's love for a child, jealous, unstoppable, exacting as a love between sexes. That's the kind of love that God has for you and I in Christ. Such great love, otherworldly love, magnificent love. A love beyond our imagination. And that love is manifested on earth in the coming of Jesus, in His birth, in His life, in His death, in His resurrection, and one day in His return. You want to know what kind of love the Father has given to us? A love that means that you are now called a child of God. That's what the love of God means. And, and the fact that you're called the love of, the, called the child of God is not just a label, right? Because when God speaks something, reality changes. God calls things into existence. And so if God calls you His child, you actually are His child. And by this amazing love that's been given to us, we are children of God. John, John says, and so we are. And so God calls us His children, so we are His children. See, because of the gift of Jesus through faith in, in Christ as your Savior, through His perfect life and His atoning death and His victorious resurrection, we are now adopted into God's family. God is creator to all people, to all things. But to those who believe in Him, He is also Father. And we are now transferred from sinners to sons, from those that are detached to daughters, from those that were once His enemies now to His heirs. The gift of Jesus manifests a love that gives us a new identity. And God's view of you has changed, which means that your view of yourself should also change. Your status before God has changed. You're now a child of His. Your sense of self should be impacted by this. 
How you think about your past and your present and your future has been revolutionized. Friends, you're no longer a part of this world. You've been transformed by a love that is otherworldly. And so your home and your belonging, your sense of purpose, your sense of identity is no longer wrapped up in this fallen, selfish, sinful world. That's why John says that the world doesn't know us because the world didn't know Christ. He was not a son of this world. He was a son of God. And because we have faith in him, just as he was rejected by this world, just as he didn't fit here, neither do you and I. Now praise God that the Lord is redeeming this world. And so just as the saints of old waited for his first coming, you and I wait and long for his second coming, the time when all things will be made new. When creation itself, when this world itself will be transformed, when we'll finally be at home, finally be comfortable in our own skin, finally be at rest in God's redeemed world. Christian, God's love gives you life, but it doesn't just give you life, it gives you a new identity. Think about the way you live, what you think about when you wake up, when you go to bed, how you interact with people. Are you living in light of this new identity as a beloved child of God? It's interesting, isn't it, when you see your extended family and you go home maybe to your parents. It's a unique dynamic, isn't it, when you go to your your parents' home, particularly if it's your childhood home. Your father could be 90 years old. You go see dad. Some, something, something happens in the way you connect and relate and interact. I remember walking in the Sunday after Thanksgiving, asking a woman here, how, how was your Thanksgiving break? She said, it was all great. I went back home to my parents' house. This is a young, young woman, a mother. She said, I got to lay on the couch and act like a kid. And my mom cooked for me. Right? A grown woman. But she goes home and she acts like a child. But for some of you, that's not a positive experience. Some of you have... have not gone home for good reason, maybe. Some of you have strained relationships with mom or with dad. Even godly people, even gifted people. And this author that I've been reading recently, Peter Scarzero, wrote, wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Lifelong, decades of, of profound, impacting author and, and, and pastor. And he was describing in one of his books how he transitioned out of the senior leadership position as his church and he stepped down and handed off the lead pastor role to another pastor and the identity kind of crisis that he went through and how he began to question himself in the months and the years after he stepped down and handed off the role to someone else. And he said this, this is going to sound a little brutal, but this is how he actually said it. He said, I kept hearing the voice of my dead mother in my head berating me, belittling me, telling me, see that, the church is doing fine without you. They never needed you to begin with. That, that's not an isolated thing. I've known countless, countless grown, successful, mature adults still struggling with their upbringing, still wrestling with their sense of identity, still overcompensating for a lack of love, still seeking approval from flawed parents and there are some who live their entire adult life full of shame or bitterness or loss or grief or self-doubt or self-condemnation all because they never had the love of their mother or their father and therefore they never formed a healthy sense of themselves a healthy identity now look praise god for those of us that have earthly mothers and fathers that have given us love but whether or not your biological parents your earthly family expressed and lived out this kind of love either way that's not your identity 
That's what 1 John 3, 1 says. Christmas means this. It means that you have the gift of life, eternal life, and life now. And that's a life with a new identity. Such great love the Father has given to you that you should be called a child of God. And such you are. What, what if we live? What if we lived our lives grounded in this reality, rooted in the love of our Heavenly Father, living out our identity as His son or daughter? I, I think it would mean confidence for us in the face of overwhelming circumstances that many of you are going to walk out and face this afternoon. It would mean confidence. It would mean certainty. When the world around you is shifting and crumbling and unstable and shaking, you could stand in certainty knowing you're a child of God. How about this? When you are succeeding, when you are blowing everybody's expectations out of the water, instead of getting full of yourself and arrogant, grounding yourself in your identity as a loved child of God means humility. It means calmness when the world is falling down around you. It means when you're facing the distractions and the temptations and the whispers of the world, it means that you can be faithful. Because you know ultimately you answer to the Lord and Lord alone. Ultimately the Lord and the Lord alone is the one who loves you and approves you and has given you all that you need. An identity in the love of God means confidence and certainty, humility and calm. It means faithfulness, but it, it also means mission. An identity as God's Child means that we have a renewed mission. That's what the gift of, of love means. A new life, a new identity, and a new mission. John will go on to write in his gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. He says this, In this the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now verses 9 and 10 are a kind of a quick summary of everything we've just been talking about. God's love was revealed to us by sending us His one and only Son into the world. Jesus, born as a human as we said, who lived and suffered and died on the cross and rose again for one reason, that we might live through Him, it says. That you and I, who because of our sinful hearts, our selfishness, our disinterest in God, though we were destined to die, that we were living in sin, not, not knowing true life, living, as it were, an empty, frail shell of a life, Jesus came and died on our behalf that we could live through Him. He came as the propitiation for our sins. That's a $5 word. That's a theological word that means something important. It means that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice, the sacrifice on the cross that appeased the justice of God. God is loving and God is just, and He will never compromise either. And so Jesus came as an atonement for our wrongs. He paid our debt. He appeased the justice of God. And He rose from the dead that we could be raised up with Him to have a new life, an abundant life, an eternal life with a new identity. And as verse 10 says, this is love. This is the embodiment of love. The manifestation of love is Jesus laying down His life for you and I. Not, not that we love God but that God loved us. 
Love doesn't begin with us. Love begins with God. All good things begin with God. Love flows from the very nature and the very character of God because God is love. And, and I believe that John needs to make this point because far too many people think that if, if they just obey God and serve God and follow God's rules and are faithful to God, then God will love them in return. If I do enough, if I live out love for God, maybe God will love me. That's the whole basis of, of what we can call traditional humanistic religion, but that's not biblical Christianity. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that God loved us first. While we were still sinners, He loved us. When we were, when we were not deserving of His love, it began with Him. And from that profound, that life-altering, world-changing reality of God's love, we now have a mission. Verse 11 says, Beloved friends, if God has loved us in this way, we ought to love one another in the same way. We must love one another this way. How can you be loved like that and not act out that same kind of love? How can you be given such a lavish, generous, generous life-changing gift... And how can, how can you then not in turn go give that love to others? Right, imagine again the, the, the best, most exciting, most, most awe-inspiring Christmas gift you could ever give. That you could ever yourself get. How would that change you getting a gift like that? It's a gift card, right? Everybody loves getting a gift card. Come on, raise your hand if you actually like getting a gift card. Okay, those are all the picky particular people. Right? They want to get their own thing. They want, to, they want to get it for themselves. Okay? What about this, though? What if you got a gift card to your favorite store, whether it's like Bass Pro or Bed Bath & Beyond? Some of you are like, I'll take rudders. You know, give me free gas. What if you got a gift card that had an unending balance? What if you got a gift card and and there was no restrictions, no rules, no blackout dates. You can use this gift card at that store of your choice for anything you want, as much as you want. How could you not receive a lavish gift like that and not bless other people with it, right? Like if you don't take that gift card and begin buying stuff for other people, inviting them to come shopping with you, getting others in your life the things that you know that they want and need from that store, pouring out the blessings that you have been given to other people. There's something drastically wrong with you, right? If God has loved us in this way, we ought to, we must love one another in the same way. You'd be insane not to. And so God love, God's love for us now gives us a mission. It's it's the mission of our lives, is to love others as you have been loved. That's why when Jesus was preparing to die, when he was on earth, he had he had lived and he knew he was he was going, and he's he's giving his final instructions to his disciples. And he's given them a mission. He says this in John chapter thirteen to his disciples. He says, A new commandment I give you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now some of you that are particularly dialed in are like, wait a minute, this isn't a new commandment. The Old Testament is full of the commandment to love others. It, it begins all the way back in the book of Leviticus, we're commanded to love others. But here's what makes it new. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you also love one another. That's what makes it new. We love in the same way that Jesus has loved us. And that's a sacrificial love, a selfless love, a love that leaves it all behind, that goes out where nobody else will go. A love that that leaves your comfort, 
Leaves your, your status, leaves all you've ever known, and goes out, sacrificing yourself for others. And when we love like that, we reflect Jesus. And when we love one another like that, as the body of Christ and the Spirit of God fills us, do you know what happens as the body of Christ? We reflect Jesus on earth. We, in essence, manifest Jesus on earth. The Spirit of God fills us. The love of God abides in us. And all people know that that we are God's disciples. He's manifest among us. When we live out this kind of God-centered love, all people know, all people know that we're disciples of Jesus and that the Spirit of God lives in us. John Stott says that when the people of God love one another this way, that the unseen God who once revealed himself in his Son now reveals himself in his people. When they love one another, God's love is made complete in his people. And that's our mission to the world, to be a light. Remember that definition we looked at earlier of of God's love? Let's look at it now in light of this call that we have to love as we have been loved. In light of this great gift that we have. For you and I, love must be a deep passion, an affection for others, a devotion in your relationship with them, driving you to action. That you would sacrifice yourself for for the well-being of others, even when it's not deserved, with no expectation of personal gain. Let let me try to put to rest once and for all what I think is is a ridiculous debate about whether or not love is an emotion or whether love is a choice or whether love is an action. Yes. If it's an emotion that that doesn't drive you to action, it's meaningless. If it's an action that's not driven from emotion, if you're not choosing it, it is all three. It is a passion. It is a devotion. It's driving you to action. See, to love others as God has loved you means that you take initiative. It means it begins with you. You say, well, I'm still waiting for them to apologize. I'm still waiting for them to treat me with kindness. I'm still waiting for them to call me back after that argument we had years ago. I'm still waiting for them to ask to be forgiven, to ask to be loved, to ask to be served. That's not God's love for you. It means you give of yourself. God, God's love means that He gives of Himself. Yes, you give loving words. Yes, you give loving deeds. But you give yourself. And here's the, here's the beautiful truth. Get this. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, when you give others yourself, you're giving them God. Amen? You're, you're manifesting the, the presence of God, the, the, the purpose of God, the plan of God for your family and your neighbors and your co-workers and all the people in your life. Friends, for us to love like God loves us means that it, it is free. There's no strings attached. We're not looking for personal reward. It means that you go out without being asked, not in like a pushy, disrespectful way, but in a way that takes initiative, that sees needs, that goes to the person that's grieving and simply sits with them. You say, but I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to my brother who just lost his wife. I don't know what to say to my neighbor who just had a miscarriage. You don't need to say anything. Go give them yourself. Go sit with them. Just go be with them. You give of yourself to the singles in our community that may not have 
family Friday night dinners that may not have holiday get-togethers. We, we go out and we say, you're a part of our family now. Come be with us. We go to those that are injured or those who are elderly or those who are weak. They can't take care of their yard. They can't put up their Christmas decorations. They can't do stuff around the house. And you say, can we, can we serve you? Can we give you love in that practical way? That when your friend is in the hospital, when your childhood friend has the cancer, come back. You pray for them. The daily, you plead before God for their healing and you, you reach out to them. It means reaching out to your neighbors. It means when you see them up putting up their Christmas decorations, it means you go over and you take initiative and you talk with them about Christmas and you say, God, go open up an opportunity for me to share with them why Christmas means so much to me and why we have that manger scene in our front yard, why Christmas is not just another holiday, why it has changed my life. You go out on mission in love to love as you have been loved. It means when there's a disagreement, maybe you allowed it to get out of hand. Maybe you said stuff you shouldn't have said. It means that you go and ask for forgiveness. It means you give forgiveness. It means you stay friends with the person even when it's hard. Even when it's not an easy friendship. Love means going out. means giving. means sacrifice. means passion and commitment. means seeking their well-being even when they don't deserve it. Not expecting anything in return. Jesus was sent out, sent from heaven to earth. We too are sent on the mission to give, to share, to display God's love in the same way that our lives have been transformed. Now God through us can transform lives around us. This gift, this amazing gift of Jesus, the love of God manifest on earth that has given us eternal life. But not just someday, stop waiting for it. It begins now. It begins now as your identity has been revolutionized. As you see yourself, think of yourself, speak and act with confidence, with humility, with faithfulness because you're a child of God. Empowered to go out on mission to love as you have been loved. Amen? Worship team, come lead us as we close, as we celebrate this wonderful love of God. Brothers and sisters, let's stand together. Great God, Father in heaven, Savior of the world, Father who has adopted us, we sit with you, we stand in your presence, we bow before you and we acknowledge that we're overwhelmed by your love. We acknowledge that there's parts of it that still blow us away, that still don't make sense. We acknowledge that there's parts of it maybe that that we don't even want because there's too much wrapped up in how it's going to change our lives. We acknowledge, God, that at times we're too hurt, we're too damaged, we have too much baggage to even accept it and live it out. But would you now, God, this season, give us grace to receive Christ anew and to walk as people that are loved, to walk in this eternal life, to walk in this renewed identity, empowered to live on mission. God, may this fill us with with love, with confidence, may it fill us with peace, and may it fill us with joy, with great joy. Joy that is for the whole world, but joy that is now for for us. Let it begin with us and go out to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.